Hi, and welcome to Back to Excited, episode 102. My name is Irvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fuleman. Hi, everybody. Uh, how you been doing, Fuleman? I'm good. Living that socially distanced existence. How about you? Yep, basically the uh, exact same. Um, I had an exciting Saturday. Me and my dad installed a ceiling fan in, in my room. Oh, um, how did that go? It, it was good. took a while, but... It was good. So the problem is with my my room, the the ceiling light was, was really really poor. Like the just it was not bright enough. So we replaced mm-hmm. it with this fan that has an LED attachment, and we turned the LED on, and somehow it was less luminous than what we had before. <laughs> <laughs> and like we looked at we looked up this thing before, and we're like, oh okay, yeah, the light rating should be good for this room, but it's not. Oh, well, that's annoying. Yeah, yeah, it's very frustrating. Um, but yeah, otherwise can't complain. It's I I. I been back at my parents place for like a while now i normally live by myself um so mm. i think it would be much harder if i was living by myself and i had like no one to talk to on a regular basis yeah it would get a bit stifling for sure yeah yeah so can't complain in that regard mm-hmm. uh yeah so this week we are um going back to our roots and talking about the maple leafs on a maple leafs podcast we haven't done that in like what feels like a year we're innovating i know <laughs> Bold and creative here on Back to Excited. Right. So essentially what we're going to do is we're going to talk about sort of what's going to happen this offseason, right? We, we've gotten a bit more reporting about what the possibilities are for the cap. We were kind of trying to do this before, but there was just so much uncertainty about the cap and where that's going to go. And there still is um, to an extent, but that's been reduced a little bit. So we, we can actually talk a bit more concretely about how the Leafs offseason is going to go. We are kind of assuming that this season we're just we don't care about it at this point it, it, it's gonna happen if it happens it's gonna happen at some point and there's nothing the Leafs can do besides play good hockey right mm-hmm. um so we're really just focusing on the 2020 2021 season yeah and the starting point for all that is that no matter what happens no matter if the league does manage to stage some kind of playoffs to wrap this whole thing up the NHL is about to take an enormous hit in revenue Primarily from gate revenue, I don't think there's any scenario for the playoffs where I've seen it actually open to 20,000 fans a game, like a conventional playoff. And because the NHL is still largely a gate-driven league, that's where they make most of their money. So the whole league is going to have a huge crushing blow to the money coming in this year. In the most optimistic scenario, it's only this year and things get back to normal by next season. In some of the other scenarios, who knows? But, as you're probably aware, all the money that comes into the league in specific categories, including uh, gate revenue and TV contracts and all that, goes into a big pie called hockey-related revenue, and that gets split 50-50. And if the players come out with more than 50% of all that revenue based on the dollar value of their contracts... They have to give some of it up. And they put a certain amount of money aside during the season called escrow so that that money can be paid. The escrow for this next season, assuming the cap stays where it is, is going to be enormous because the cap was set up for the league estimating it was going to make a certain amount of money. Players were already giving up some money each year, something like 11%. But now, with a massive load of revenues, they were, are going to get nothing close to the nominal value of their contracts. So, the cap has been going up fairly consistently, at least a little bit, in the modern salary cap era. That's probably not going to happen. Our only question now is, does it stay totally flat, or does it go up just a little bit to allow teams a little bit of room to maneuver? I don't know which it's going to be. We heard some reports that it was going to be totally flat at 81.5 next year, so no increase at all. And then Pierre Lebrun came in and said, hey, nothing's been decided yet. There have been conversations, but we don't know. I don't think the league would drop the salary cap because fixing that up without compliance buyouts and across-the-board reductions and all that stuff would be a huge mess. But it's going to be real tight. And if you're a super-capped-out team like the Leafs, 
you really were hoping that the cap would go up. You know, there was a point right before this all blew up where we were talking about a cap as high as 88 million. That was probably pretty optimistic, but it allowed us to dream pipe dreams about Alex Petrangelo. The Leafs are going to have almost no flexibility now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's about to get really hard. I don't think that Kyle Dubas has been GMing on easy up to now, but certainly in some respects, this is going to get real difficult. Or you could say it's not all that difficult at all because you can't do that much. <laughs> it's a bit of a straitjacket. Right. So, yeah, we thought we would just take a look at a couple of the issues facing this roster. And as Arvin said, we're going to assume the playoffs are beyond our concern for the purposes of this one. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll happen, maybe they won't. We're looking at, okay, then what do you do? Yeah. On a side note, the escrow stuff is interesting to me because basically every player who's ever discussed escrow in the media seems to get it wrong. Or seems to like not understand the idea behind it. Yeah. Like the fundamental issue here, and and for what is worth, I believe the NBA also has an escrow uh, type of thing. But the fundamental issue is, you know, as as you said, Fulman, players are given a certain amount of revenue, but revenue is not known at the start of a year, right? So they base, so they have a salary cap which is based on essentially a revenue estimate. The problem is the salary cap is not only based on a revenue estimate; it's also based on what do teams and GMs want and what and what do players want, you know, and typically they want it to increase. Mm-hmm. So the salary cap number is based on a projection that's like a funhouse mirror. Yeah. Right? It's not a real projection. And as a result, you can sometimes get pretty big differences between actual revenues and projected revenues via what the cap is kind of implying. Right? The implied projected revenues, you can call it. Um, especially since un- until recently, the players had pretty much always decided to use the full escalator on the salary cap. Right, to keep it going up. Yes. But and, then that that yeah. just is changing the curvature on the funhouse mirror. Yeah, pretty much exactly that. So, I mean, I guess the bottom line here is what the players really make is determined by their half of all the money coming into the league. And... The salary, the salary amount that like is listed for them, you know, when we hear John Tavares has a cap hit of eleven million and a salary of fifteen this year or whatever, that's sort of reflective of what he would make if the cap were an accurate reflection of the actual money coming in. He's not going to make that much. He's going to make a lot less based on revenues. Um, in the course of recent years escrow has been around you know 11 percent, and so players have been frustrated because they feel like i'm getting some of my money taken away and they sort of are but what it really means is there wasn't enough money coming in for me to get paid what it says on the paper and the evolving conflict in the union has been do we want to keep the cap going up which lets the people coming to free agency who are assigning new contracts get those big numbers but which runs the risk of the cap is getting further and further away from the actual money coming in, so everyone is losing more in escrow. The basic simplified version of this is the cap going up helps you if you're signing a new contract soon, and if you're already on a long-term contract with a fixed amount, you probably don't want the cap to go up too much more. That whole conflict was happening in the union up to now and now we're at a tipping point because as we were just saying revenues just went down the toilet so the odds are to bring this back around to what we were saying we're operating in a flat or near flat cap situation and the Leafs are kind of handcuffed so we're going to try and take a look at roughly what the issues are in light of that the first and biggest one is goaltending and goaltending is something that <laughs> I think every team dreads being an issue. I sure do. I'm sure you remember some of the, the bad old days. The Leafs didn't get the greatest goaltending this year. I'm not saying it was by any means the whole issue, but it was an issue. Freddie Anderson did not have his best stuff for long stretches. Michael Hutchinson is basically done. Jack Campbell came in and played a few games right before the stoppage, and he looked pretty good. 
but he's been a career backup for the most part. And so the Leafs have a question. He was a former first-round pick, though. <laughs> Never forget, no matter what. He's going to be like 37 years old, and he'll be a former first-round pick, Jack Campbell. But uh, that brings us around to, okay, are you comfortable with this team that is clearly trying to win while it can, because John Tavares is not getting any younger? Are you comfortable with Freddie Anderson and Jack Campbell next year? What are you thinking the year after that? Because Freddie Anderson's deal, on which he makes $5 million, expires after next season. And what are you going to do about it, basically? Yeah, this is essentially as late as you can leave it before getting a you know, succession plan for, for Anderson or you know, deciding, okay, well, we're going to have to potentially re-up it. So I guess those are, those are the two options here. We can continue to go forward with Anderson as our goalie of the future or we can try and replace him either this year or make preparations to replace him uh in time for the 2021 2022 season Mm -hmm. so maybe we should evaluate both of those in term extending for freddie anderson is kind of the business as usual course right and i think we probably if he had had the same year he had you know two Mm -hmm. or three years prior we would probably, in the five, I'm using the royal we in terms of like the fan base. We'll probably be pretty on board with that. Um, but he did not have a good year this year, right? Um, if you look at goal saved above expectation, Freddie Anderson cost the Leafs ten mm. goals this year. That's that's a lot. That's yeah. a couple wins, right? Um, it's hard to be a cup contending team with the goaltending that is worse than average. Right, because goaltending is so important. Now, even if Anderson was very good this year, extending him would not be something I would do incredibly comfortably because he is a goalie and he's yeah. he's already thirty. So, where do you kind of stand on this? I think unless Freddie is going to take way less money than I think he would or probably should, you can't make an extension move now you do have to start thinking about other options. We've talked before about how some of the worst contracts in the NHL are big-term contracts for goaltenders. Uh, Carey Price, <laughs> Sergei Bobrovsky. Aging goaltenders especially. Like, you, don't, you're not, you don't want to pay for decline years of goaltenders because the margin between good and bad goaltenders in the NHL is so small mm-hmm. that... You know, and and they're so highly volatile in general that you know there's a decent chance that any good goaltender, any goaltender who's good in their late twenties, might be out of the league at 33. Yeah, I mean Corey Schneider is the classic example for New Jersey, where there was a remarkably quick stretch where he went from quite good to unplayable. You know, compounded by injuries, but that's a risk for every goaltender. And so you are torn between the fact that this is probably at least in the abstract, a bad idea. Is it a risk that you feel compelled to take because the alternative is wasting years on a team that should be trying to contend because it has terrible goaltending? Because if you guess wrong and you go the budget route and then you get two goalies who put up a 905 save percentage, you've screwed your team, probably. And... That's a really fraught decision to make. And so, ideally, you have goaltenders coming up through the system who are coming off their ELCs or still on their ELCs or on a second contract who are sort of cost-controlled, who are in their mid-20s and who can sort of scrap for the job and then possibly make it easier for you to safely transition to a new generation of goaltending. The Leafs don't have that. Uh, you know, Joseph Wall or Ian Scott or whoever you want to name are best case scenario a while away. And, you know, I have to be honest, I don't even know where Ian Scott is right now just in terms of his injury recovery. So, barring a huge leap, the Leafs can't count on that right now. Jack Campbell, if you want to count on him, has been a good backup to, like, maybe optimistically verging on a 1B 
And he is contract controlled to some extent. He's signed for the next two years at 1.65. If you get good 1B goaltending out of him for that price, that's a terrific deal. But do you want to count on him being a starter when he hasn't really done it before? That's a very difficult decision, I have to admit. I don't know if um, the Leafs feel like they're in a position to pursue a guy who's kind of blocked, or if they think Jack Campbell is kind of their answer. Like, do we cycle back around on Alexander Georgiev? God help me. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the problem with Campbell is he's not much younger than Anderson himself, Mm -hmm. right? He's 28, Anderson is 30. So if you're... I think in this assumption, you know, we're we're saying, okay, Anderson maintains his, his job for... 2020 2021 by the way it's super it's going to be super annoying for the next decade having to say like or at least for for the first one you can you can't say 2021 the way you could say 1920 because mm. that's ambiguous so you have to say 2020 2021 that's going to be a real that's problem a lot for of, us in the pod game i know <laughs> i know it's going to be really frustrating um so if anderson maintains his his job for next season you're talking really about campbell the season after he's already 29 at that point you're going to run into the same problem with him very shortly Right, And then, again, he doesn't have that track record. So, yeah, what do you do? The other option, which is definitely more scary, and I think relatively low likelihood to happen, but it's to move on from Anderson now and try and find a goalie now. And I don't foresee the Leafs doing that. It's too fraught a decision. One, if you pursue it through free agency and you go after... Holtby, uh, Robin Lehner, maybe Jacob Markstrom. You face a lot of the same issues, and because they're unrestricted free agents with considerable names and track records, you're probably paying them a massive extension anyway. Maybe Holtby's a little cheaper based on his recent performance, but he's also the biggest name in terms of championship success. So are you even benefiting? You probably can't afford to pay them more than $5 million, or at least not significantly more, because the Leafs are capped out all the hell. And realistically, you would want to pay them less, right? right. Like, if, if you're going to pay someone the exact same amount as Freddie Anderson, well, you might as well just keep Freddie Anderson, because there, prob- there isn't a guy who's an unequivocal upgrade. Yeah, and even if you thought you were buying an upgrade, like last summer, Sergei Bobrovsky would have looked like a real upgrade and now look how that's gone it can go south on you so quickly in the goaltending department that it's really a bit of a first do no harm thing where you have to avoid signing those massive clunker contracts if you can at all help it and then it's really tough so do I mean it would be great for the Leafs to get more talent into the system and they probably should But the fact remains, that doesn't solve your problem within a year. And that comes back around to the succession planning. I genuinely do wonder if Jack Campbell is sort of the succession plan. Or if the Leafs are... As as like a short-term bridge to to a, a prospect or maybe a younger guy that they have to kind of poach on the trade market? Yeah, I do wonder if they're almost okay saying we would rather take the chance of being left with Jack Campbell as, like, a secondary starter than to overcommit financially to our goaltenders. Yeah, I mean, the more I think about it, the more more I think there's almost no situation in which you can sign Freddie Anderson after this season and have it be a reasonable deal. Yeah, because if he returns to form, it probably turns back into a big, fat contract. If he doesn't, then he's been subpar for two years. Heading, heading into, his into his, Exactly, and he'll, he'll be 31. So it's, do you want to pay for that at all? You know, there's a huge range of outcomes from Freddie Anderson's perspective as to how his next deal could go. Um, but from the Leafs' perspective, there aren't many answers that are great for us. It's, it's pretty tough. Right, and then... I think the realist. So the way the Leafs have kind of acquired their last few, 
goalies that they've tried to acquire for as you know long-term um mainstays Mm -hmm. they acquired them in a trade as an rfa and i think realistically that's kind of how goalies get traded in general with the expectation that they're going to be good some of them become good almost randomly Mm -hmm. right but in a lot of cases it's a trade for a young guy who is blocked Right, Jonathan Bernier was blocked by Jonathan Quick. Freddie Anderson was blocked by John Gibson. Mm-hmm. Um, with whatever happens in Vancouver, you know, whether it's Markstrom or Demko, you know, one of them is sort of blocked by the other. And realistically, it seems like Demko is the guy of the future, but Markstrom's been very good for Vancouver. Um, and occasionally, you get you know a guy like Robin Leonard, who was I guess very highly touted and traded for a couple times, and it it worked out maybe on the on the second or third one where he didn't do very well in Buffalo, and then moved uh, onward from there did phenomenal mm-hmm. so it's the job of the Leafs is to kind of just start identifying those guys now and seeing okay is there anyone who we think can be our starter for the future now who's expiring this year or next year right Matt Murray's expiring he had a bad year this year but you know his pedigree and his history and his age makes it makes him essentially prohibitive in terms of a in terms of cost, of what it would take to acquire him, right? As much as Pittsburgh probably likes Tristan Yari, I think they're still kind of wedded to Matt Murray long-term. Uh, I'd be interested to see that. But, uh, yeah, I don't know, I have to admit. And, you know, it's very tough to know how to make these bets intelligently. The truth is, is that the best you can do about goaltending is to build a strong pipeline into your organization which is a lot easier said than done because it means that you have to draft goalies well and God help you. But And not only do you have to draft goalies well, you have to do it just like, you basically just need to take a goalie every year and then like have two thirds of them get to the point where they are viable NHL goalies. Yeah, you know, there are teams that have built strong-ish goalie pipelines or who seem to be blessed with a certain amount of talent, but that's bloody difficult. And... The Leafs are not in the position where they have done that yet or where they can do that in a way that answers this question for them. I don't know where the Rangers are at on Alexander Georgiev. I don't know if they if their prices come down. The prices that we heard were kind of silly, frankly. And, you know, I, I don't want to say this is necessarily cause and effect, but it's hard not to notice that trade never happened, despite all the rumors. You know, uh, he is also going to be an RFA. I assume he's going to want some kind of raise. If you get him and you think, okay, he's our goalie of the future, I suspect you're kind of implicitly giving up on Freddie Anderson. Like, you have to clear salary and do something. And you have to try and give him some kind of contract that you're okay in living with going forward. I don't know if you want to make that bet. And then after him, there are a lot of kind of iffy options. Um, or, you know, you can try and go through the retreads and get like a 1B guy. I feel like Calgary does that every year, you know? Like they just sort of dredge mm-hmm. up some guy who's like, oh, well, he was kind of good. And, you know, oh, it's Mike Smith for the 15th time or Cam Talbot or whatever. For a team that's like has real pretensions towards contending, that's a really uncomfortable choice to make. And so I think that adds up to maybe the more boring answer of you probably run out Anderson and Campbell again. You keep your eyes open. You maybe make a prospect trade for a guy who goes to the Marlies. But I think next season, probably the Leaf starters or their one-two in that is Anderson and Campbell. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, the UFA market for goalies is also just brutal. We talked about Holtby. I mean, Corey Crawford is, is good, but he's 35 and already making 6 mil. Mm-hmm. Um, probably not going to come to Toronto. Robin Lehner, again, good, but he's probably the most attractive goalie on the market. Yeah, and you know, the whole Robin Lehner thing has been... You know, he's had his own personal struggles that he's talked about, you know, confronting mental illness and addiction, and he's overcome them. But I have to admit, I find it hard not to see that impacting the market based on what happened. 
I think that that was a factor why a goalie as good as him did not get extended in Long Island, which is really unfortunate. If I were him, I'd want to cash in. I'd feel like I'd earned it, and, you know, power to him. But that means that the Leafs can't really do much about him, so... Right, and then, I mean... Yeah, there's guys like Markstrom, Thomas Grice. You can go down the Bruins' backup retreat with Halak and Hudobin. Probably Halak is 35. And Hudobin's 34. He's not wow. no spring Yeah, I, I mean, I knew he'd been around the block a little bit, but that's all I didn't realize. So, yeah, th- there's not, like, an obvious move where you point to it and say, okay, here's what you do. Unless you say, okay, I think Alexander Georgiev is definitely our starter. I don't think that he has the track record where you should do that with high confidence maybe he can do it don't get me wrong but it's a little dicey but i think you're you're never going to find a goalie of the future where it's not dicey yeah trading for anderson was dicey it was um right like you know i remember at the time we were like oh man that's that's a that could blow up in our face and it didn't it was one of lou's best moves and something he doesn't get enough credit for no that's true and that was a huge move for the semi-contention that the Leafs went into shortly thereafter. But the fact remains, um, if you do that and you're wrong at that point, the Leafs take longer to get good. Now the Leafs are supposed to be very good, and they're kind of not, largely due to goaltending. Do you make aggressive moves now? Do you risk wasting another season or two? And, you know, if you're Kyle Dubas, you start probably looking over your shoulder employment-wise if that happens. So, I don't know. I think it all it does all add up to the same sort of thing where I think Anderson plays in Toronto next year. I am a lot more doubtful he plays the season after that. Yeah, so. and I, I think a year from now, we're probably, if we haven't already, like a year from now, we are going to be forced into acquiring a goaltender. Yeah, we'll have to do something. Unless Jack Campbell absolutely lights the world on fire. And steals the job like a bona fide starter. Um, you never know. Be nice, but I think that you should not assume that's going to happen until you see a hell of a lot of evidence that it already has. So. Yeah, and I think in the meantime, the Leafs are also going to continue drafting uh, goaltenders. The the interesting thing is, so there are some. There was a wave of like kind of first round drafted goaltenders who are just now kind of coming into the league. Mm. Um, I think. Ilya Samsonov is going to take over from Braden Holby. Yeah. He was a first-round pick. Yeah. Um, the Islanders have a guy, too. What's his name? Sorokin? Yeah. Yeah, and he's coming over now for the first time. The Rangers have um, Jevin Shesterkin. Yes, uh, Igor Shesterkin. Uh, and Florida has Spencer Knight, who was like maybe the most highly touted goalie prospect in a long time. Um, that was an interesting pick in, in the context of them signing Bobrovsky for a mil- 11 million years. Yeah. Because <laughs> I didn't quite understand that. I don't know when I don't know when Knight's going to be ready, but he is like you know huge, huge, huge prospect. Yeah. Um, well so what's going to happen there? Now, now that said, now granted, Shesterkin was a fourth round pick originally, but I can't help noticing he went in 2014, and he's just now had his first NHL games in the course of the latter part of this year. Like the arc on goalie development is so long for anyone who's not a first-round pick and, you know, picking goalies early is fraught to begin with, but we're not going to do it because we don't have a first-round pick. So, you know. I forgot to mention Carter Hart, too. Oh, yeah. Carter Hart is is good. He's one of the few guys who, like, was scouted as a really good goalie and Mm -hmm. turned out to be a really good goalie and now is a really good goalie. Like, he's kind of checked all the boxes in order. But even he only went, like, mid-second round, I think. Yeah, like he went he as high first... as goalies tend to go. Now there's a yeah, it's 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 rare for a Spencer Knight to exist now. Like goalies have stopped being taken in the first round mostly. Yeah, there now there is, by most accounts, going to be one, uh, this year, and I'm gonna have to double check. Yeah, it's uh, Yaroslav Askarov, whose name I'm sure I'm butchering, and so I apologize once again to the nation of Russia, um, for my pronunciation. But he's considered very, very good. And then it's not a lot of people projected for a couple rounds. And it's back to crapshoot territory. And so, yeah, the the bottom line is I don't think that there's a solution on the Leafs end via the draft for a very long time. So, 
yeah, it's a, it's a fraught decision, to say the least. And all you can really do in the short term is hope that Freddy figures his stuff out, because then at least we get one year of good starting goaltending ahead. And then we got to figure some stuff out. So, yeah, I mean, this was a long walk to end in a pretty conservative option, I think. But I think that that's probably what's most likely, except that the Leafs are going to keep trying to build talent, as they always do. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so, yeah. one of the... We, we, you talked about um, Georgiev mm-hmm. and the price to acquire him. Well, in a way, that might be convenient, because the Leafs do have to get rid of a forward. Mm-hmm. So, just to set the, the table, because actually, we should have done this earlier on, but... In terms of the Leafs' cap situation next year, um, they essentially have... If the cap stays about the same, which we're going to assume it, it is, mm-hmm. they have $4.5 million for essentially three or, or three or four... Uh, three forward spots and a defenseman spot, essentially. Is that accurate? Yeah, give or take. It depends. Like, we're already assuming that they're going to run a, basically a no-scratch roster. The Leafs' cap situation is... Um, and I'm going to use the legal term here, tighter than a snail's asshole. So the Leafs really don't have a lot of room to do anything. Even if they sign budget guys for all the cap space they have, if they don't want to get rid of anybody and it stays at an 81.5 cap, they realistically have to sign only guys on minimums or bring up guys on ELCs. You know, like maybe you get one guy who's like a million five. But we're including Ilya Mikhaev and Travis Dermott, both of whom can reasonably expect to make more than a minimum salary. And as soon as they start making any significant amount of money above that, it gets real tight. It gets to the point where you start looking at, say, Travis Dermott gets two million even, right? Which I... I I mean, wouldn't be a ridiculous contract, but it's probably more than I'd want to pay him. But that two million is like, oh geez, that that like that cripples us. Yeah, that's it. And I don't know what Mikhaev is going to get. I think he's one of the hardest contracts to predict in the league based on his age, his signing status, the fact he had a hell of a half season before getting injured. And so And it was a pretty like an injury where you know, it, it's not a fait accompli that he's 100% going to be back, right? It, there was nerve damage there. It was a pretty bad cut there. And so we're hoping for the best for him. But that clouds the whole situation in terms of both the team, what it reasonably expects to get out of him going forward, and him, what kind of security should he want to count on? I mean, I think every player believes in themselves. Mikhaev certainly thinks, I have a chance to be a bigger player going forward and I'm going to make a meaningful amount of money. But maybe this is his only big-ish North American contract. You know, there's downside risk there too for him, so he may want to wrap up some money. If that leads to Ilya Mikhaev is making two, two and a half million, three million-ish, then you are pretty much automatically forced to trade somebody. Like, as that amount of money goes up, you run out of options so fast. Yep. I so, don't know, so... Yeah, go ahead. The, the realistic thing is, regardless, the Leafs have to trade forward, right? Um, yep. As of right now, let, let's be really optimistic and say they can try and go with, like, a, a 13 a 13-7-2 setup, right? 13 forward, 7 defensemen, 2 goalies, which is one less than the, the, the max of 23, and would be tricky for them, but... You know, let's let's try and humor the idea of whether that's possible, right? That means they need to sign four forwards, um, one defenseman in Travis Dermott, and that's it. And they have four and a half million to do so. It, like the math just immediately doesn't work out. Yeah, it gets brutal in a hurry. And like, even if we're assuming, you know, you bring up guys who make very cheap salaries, like we're looking at uh, Barabanov making the ro- the roster. Uh, Nick Robertson, let's say optimistically he makes the roster. Let's say they extend um, Jason Spezza at 700 grand again. You're still running into a lot of trouble 
just fitting all these guys. Like even including Barabanov, like let's say he takes yeah. the place of Dennis Mulgan this year. Well, he's making more than Mulgan did. <laughs> that's that's like maybe 175k. Where it's like, oh wow, like we have to pinch pennies on that level. Yeah, there's nothing going on here. It's kind of too bad for the Leafs. We talked a lot about how this was going to be the squeeze year, and then if the cap went up, things would get a little easier the following season. Well, the cap's probably not going up very much if at all. Which means we're back to the Brandon Pridham special. But mm -hmm. you do the math on this and you pretty much end up at the Leafs trading a third line winger. Or yep. conceivably center in Alexander Kerfoot. And Andreas Janssen has been the focus of a lot of that chatter. As I'm sure you're aware, he makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I mean, just, just to recap it, like, we're not trading any of the top four. Right? Yeah. And... I think, thank God, William Nylander had a good year because <laughs> we don't have to argue against this as vociferously because no one's arguing it anymore. Um, yeah. But we, you, you, you can't trade any of the top four. Although we're, we're starting to get some galaxy brain takes about trading Marner. It's coming. Mm -hmm. um, which would be really interesting, but I think it's very hard to win that trade if you're the Leafs. Yeah, I would agree. Well, who, who, has the, who has the space to accept Marner at this point? Yeah. <laughs> That's the problem. You're, you're limiting yourself to like seven teams. A lot of them just won't be able to have Marner because they have internal caps anyways, even if they have cap space in theory. So yeah. anyways, you need to get rid of one of the mid-tier 3 million guys. That's Kapanen, Kerfoot, Janssen. Of those, I mean, you, you could make an argument for Kapanen or Janssen. I think trading Kerfoot would be silly just because who's playing third-line center otherwise. I don't want Spezza doing that. I, won't, I don't want Nylander doing that. I don't want Engvall doing that. Yeah, I think he like Kerfoot makes, is just better yeah. than them. At, yeah, so so keep him Kapanen there. or Janssen. And you know, I think Kapanen is a better player, and I think Kapanen probably returns you maybe a little more. Janssen, He's a bit younger too. Yeah, and so Janssen makes another two hundred k. I think still, you can run a line of let's say, Engvall, Kerfoot, Kapanen. And I think that that's a pretty good third line, even if Engvall's scoring dried up a little bit. You know, Engvall is probably not going to be on offensive dynamo or anything like that. But I like that better than having Janssen, Kerfoot, and Guy. So, my instinct is Janssen's the more obvious candidate. I don't know what his value is like coming off an injury. And, and a relatively ineffective year in general. Yeah, not as most impressive let's be honest. So I don't think that he's, you know, negative return territory by any means. He's still like a useful young player and there are teams who want to acquire him, but especially in a cap strapped league, it may not be very easy to get a super impressive return for Andreas Janssen. And so, yeah, it's hard for me not to, uh, to look at this and kind of see like a big, flashing light around him as the guy who gets traded. I know that it's been sort of the common point in terms of chatter and like trade speculation, but I think in this case they're correct to focus in on him as the guy who gets dealt, but I don't know what return you get. It's so what we're question. saying is Janssen for Georgiev E5. <laughs> done and done. Hey, you know what? I can think of sillier things. Let's put it that way. I think, it, it kind yeah. of makes sense, and I'm not sure if I, like, here, here's the thing. There's a lot of competing factors that are going to impact Janssen's value, right? Because mm -hmm. to some extent, the Leafs have to trade someone, and we, we saw this with Marlowe last year. The Leafs had no leverage, right? You know you have to trade a guy, and you can, it, it's, it won't be as bad as it was with Marlowe because more teams can accept Janssen. Janssen is an asset, Right, yeah, he's not a negative value contract. We don't have to do like, the very specific buyout procedure that we were having to do with Marlowe. So we have right, so they career. yes, but still, you you lose some leverage when everyone knows you have to trade a guy, and that Janssen's probably the guy you want to trade. Like you can tell other teams, oh, you know, we don't have to trade Janssen. We can trade Kapanen too, and other teams would love Kapanen. Mm -hmm. But realistically, we probably don't want to trade Kapanen as much. No, and so so yeah, yeah. <laughs> it gets it gets tricky. Um, and then you run into a possible issue where, you know, Janssen is a, a good 
left winger and the Leafs are not incredibly deep at left wing right their, their top two are essentially two guys in the same mold now in in, in sorry Hyman and Mikheyev mm-hmm. right if, if Janssen is gone um so you can get into a situation where suddenly you have those two great lines with our, our four-star players and Mikheyev and Hyman being two very good complementary options and then you have nothing beyond them which is what's happened for a lot of this year yeah you need I still believe in Kerfoot and Kapanen when healthy, and then I'm hoping, yeah, I'm hoping someone on the carousel of Engvall, Rabinoff, even conceivably Robertson, uh, you know, can put together decent third-line scoring. But it does, it just kind of emphasizes, though, if the Leafs are going to make a big upgrade on defense, in addition to what they've done, they would have to basically sell their whole third line. Or they have to deal one of the big three. Or they have to deal Morgan Riley. All of those add up to me to... The defense isn't going anywhere. Like... I think, you know, trying to trim the fat from this roster... I don't see a way where you add a guy like... You know, we're not bidding on Alex Petrangelo that I can see. To take an example. And so Andreas Janssen being gone is just like the price of admission to keep this roster, almost. Like, it's hard for it to get better, at, like, aside from internal improvement. Yeah, you hope you know, Sandin and Liljegren, um, yeah. you know, help. And then, it would, as you alluded to, it would if Nick Robertson came in and, you know, was able to score 20 goals, you know, that'd be amazing. Yeah, that would be huge. I mean, we have to not expect it. But at the same right. time, you know, he, he has surprised. Let's say he'll be interesting to watch in training camp. I obviously don't bet on him making the NHL in his, you know, second year post-draft. Um, but yeah, it, it leads to a kind of paralysis. There's been a lot of talk about Kyle Clifford. I, I'm sorry, I don't think that that's going to happen. Like, I, I just, I don't see the answer where he gets paid what he can likely demand, you know, at his age, with his incentives. And the Leafs work. Like, there are teams that have the luxury of paying, let's say, a million five or whatever for a guy who's probably a fourth-line left wing. The Leafs don't have that luxury. We're getting to the point where we can't even pay people variable salaries. Yeah, like, it like, makes a genuine difference whether it's 925 or 700 or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know? And so, considering that, let's say you keep Mikhaev and deal Janssen, you already have a pretty clear what your top nine is supposed to be. It almost doesn't matter how good Kyle Clifford is after that. Once he can't displace any of the top nine legitimately, I just don't think that you can give him what he could make with a team this caps draft. Maybe he wants yeah. to take a huge discount. The stuff about the, the quality of the pick that the Leafs give up gets worse uh, if they sign. Sorry, it gets better for Los Angeles, so it's worse for the Leafs. I mean, that's something. It, I don't think it would make a big difference if the Leafs really wanted the player. And I'm sure they like him. But I don't see that this happening. This can happen in a, like a dollars and cents way. So, Yeah. Uh, you, you said something I was going <clears> to <throat> add, which is unless you think Clifford can, you know, become a, a third-line guy or, like, or become, you know, a budget Hyman. Yes. Right? And um, I don't. So. No, and <laughs> Clifford's interesting because he's had consistently great play driving numbers through his career um, in LA, mm-hmm. and he came here and it was only what fifteen, sixteen games, um, and it, he wasn't bad, but he was like, eh, in terms of his his impact on his lines doing well relative to when he wasn't on them, right? So it, we didn't see that same ability in, albeit in a very small sample, um, so. It's, it's, it's sort of like what happened with Nick Shore, right? Nick Shore came in with this big kind of track record of great fancy stats. And then mm-hmm. he was okay. Yeah. Right? Like, wasn't awful. Wasn't particularly good at all. So I'm, I'm not incredibly excited to potentially pay for, for that. Um, because I'm, one, not convinced that we have a really good assessment of his play driving value right it, it's mm-hmm. it can be tricky with those lower in the lineup guys and two 
if he's going to be on the fourth line regardless, or even if he's going to be on you know the third line but doesn't really have the hands to or the or the uh, playmaking to cash in on the territorial dominance, there's just not a lot of upside there. So I don't I don't particularly see a way where we can sign Clifford, as you said, to a deal he wants that is also still good a, a good deal for the Leafs. Yeah, and uh, I I think that there's some interest in you know like the the physical element maybe the the works hardness a real good pro element all of that stuff that counts it doesn't do enough to make this a viable deal as far as i'm concerned unless he takes way less than i expect so yeah i mean the bottom line on the forwards to me is i see someone out probably Janssen and I see a lot of internal or budget e-guys in. And so we're hoping for the best out of, you know, again, Barabanov, Robertson, whoever else. Uh, Freddie Goche is still in the mix. He's an RFA, by the way. I can't expect he's going to command a, a meaningful raise, which is the way that the Leafs would keep him, is if he doesn't get a raise. I don't see on what basis someone would give it to him other than his height, but whatever. And so, yeah, you have to kind of just hope that these lines as assembled can step up and be good forward lines. And I think that's where you're at with the defense to transition back. Uh, Cody Cece is gone at because I think he's going to make less next year, but I don't think he's going to make like a million or less next year, which is what he would have to make for us to look at him as a third pair guy. I'm putting aside whether I would want to at that price, but I don't know if it's possible. Um, Tyson Berry, similarly, is gonzo. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we, we will cry for him. Yes, uh, long may you be remembered for your one season. I'm sure, I'm sure he's a delightful guy, but like, the Leafs having no cap space whatsoever uh, ends that conversation immediately. I don't know what kind of raise he's looking for, but even if he takes like a show me contract, the Leafs can't even literally give him a show me contract that he would accept. No, it's <laughs> like <laughs> there's no way. There's yeah. no universe in which it can happen. No. So, I mean, that's kind of a relief. It takes us out of the running on Alex Petrangelo, who has been much discussed. Again, unless we make massive team gutting trades. Petrangelo is a fantastic player. Like, he's a bona fide top pair defenseman. He's also 30. And so his next contract is probably going to be one that doesn't end well. If you still think he's the piece because he is a terrific two-way right-shooting defenseman who is bona fide top pair... You know, I can see a universe where you almost talk yourself into, we gotta just make this big move. But the Leafs are so far from having enough space to even make a competitive bid. Like, if you do that, and you have to unload Janssen and Kapanen, and you're, you still probably don't have enough money to even get in the door. So it's like, if you trade your entire third line to do it, maybe you think that's still worth it, but... Like, you've gutted your bottom six just to have a shot at this. I can't see that happening. Yep. And, yeah, so that's so that. So basically, yeah, basically the, the way the Leafs get better next year is hopefully better goaltending, most likely from Anderson, possibly from someone else. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, overwhelmingly likelihood, overwhelming likelihood is that it'll be Anderson. Hopefully he can do better next year. And less injuries. Mm -hmm. And then the young guys stepping up and like the new guys. So, you know, if Barabanov, if we if we hit a double on him, if Robertson can step in and add some very cheap scoring, that would be great. If Sandine and Liljegren can kind of deliver on their promise. Neither were great this year. Sandine was better than Liljegren, who was brutal. Yeah. Um, But, you know, we need them to be good. So, we... Shall see. Yeah, I mean, this is a long lap, and I 
I, I'm sorry if people were hoping that we would have kind of a magic trick here. The result is that the Leafs are not quite paralyzed, but they are trapped uh, by the cap kind of coming down on them. They were maybe the team that most needed the cap to go up this year. And so the fact that it's probably not going to do that, or that if it does, it'll be for a small amount, that really makes it difficult. There's always the the kind of dynamite surprise trade option where you kind of dazzle everybody and it turns out brilliantly. But let's probably not hope for that. You're yep. going to have to hope that Sheldon Keefe can put basically the same team to better results. So, yeah. All right, cool. Um, I think that probably wraps it up on the Leafs. We did have something we wanted to discuss very quickly. Um, it's It's been a quiet time for bad takes, at least bad hockey takes. There's been plenty of bad um, coronavirus takes, oh, but we're not going to discuss those. On the hockey side, um, yeah. you had a tweet this week that I think really summed up basically every single hockey disagreement when it comes to evaluating players ever. So do you want to, I guess, just mention what that tweet was and we can we can riff on it a little bit. Yeah, so NHL.com, which is understandably trying to gin up some content during this lull or pause in the season, did a ranking of the greatest goalies of all time. And the top one was Martin Brodeur. And a lot of people who are statistically inclined, including me, will tell you that while Martin Brodeur had impressive longevity, the greatest player, the greatest goaltender of all time relative to his era is Dominic Hasek. And it's not super close, statistically. And so the usual argument started up between people saying, hey, look, Hasek had like a 930 save percentage some years where the league average was like 905 or something. <laughs> you know, he was so clearly much better than his peers during his era that it's it's really dominant. And so people will say, well, Brodeur was part of a semi-dynasty. He played for an extremely long time. But most of all, he won. He has, you know, the wins record. He has incredible longevity. And so I watched this go back and forth, and I wound up saying, like, 98% of hockey arguments, including Hasek, Brodeur, Fuhr, uh, stem from one group arguing that the best players don't always win the most, and another group that doesn't want to accept that. And I think that that happens all the time. Like I said, you know, I think that it's really hard for people to accept that in a sport that is A, a team sport, and that B, has a huge luck component, plenty of really good players are going to get deprived of the chance to seriously compete for a championship. And it's very hard to accept that in some quarters because it seems unfair. And it is unfair. Like, it's unfair that Joe Thornton, as good as he was, is going to retire without a cup, and some people are going to hold that against him. And, you know, if he wins two more games in the finals against the Penguins that one year, it's a totally different conversation. And yet he's basically the same player. It's kind of a tough thing to deal with because the answer kind of confronts some of the randomness and the luck and the unfairness of hockey. And... Yeah, I don't know that you can convince people because it's something that is not always super fun to believe. Right. You know, sports in some ways is kind of the real-life version of comic book superheroes. Mm. Right? You you want to believe that, I don't know, Spider-Man defeats the Green Goblin, and that's like a—it's intrinsic because Spider-Man finds some will inside him, and he ma finds a way to make it happen. Mm -hmm. Right? Or, or whatever. Um I like Spider-Man, but I'm not a huge comic book fan, so I'm sorry if I like completely messed something up there. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it, it, it's a reflection of, you know, the will and the good of, you know, the hero, so to speak, right? Uh, right. And the reality is sports in general is, is not like that. Real life is not like that. You know, you can be as strong-willed and as good and as hardworking as you want, and that doesn't mean you're guaranteed to achieve the pinnacle of success, especially you know, not in a sport as random as hockey. It, it's an argument that makes more sense to me in something like basketball, where the best player on a team has, you know, a huge, huge impact on 
uh, on winning more so than in almost any other sport. But even then, you know, guys like Chris Paul, due to a combination of, you know, a bit of bad luck and some real postseason failings, have never won a championship. Mm-hmm. And or, or Steve Nash. Um, and they were absolutely good enough to be the best player on a championship team. It just didn't work out. There are, there are universes where it does, and there's universes where it doesn't. And I think the, the tendency is to kind of, yeah, accept that the people who won, won because they had something that the people who didn't win did not have. Yeah, and uh, the answers are luck and teammates, frankly. <laughs> yeah, at you least that's, that's the way I see it. I think this is true in life. You realize how, how flimsy the difference is between success and failure. Yeah, and how much it affects how we talk about uh, certain players and their legacies. You know, I had another just sort of idle thought in terms of experiments. Um, I said, you know, if, say the Penguins in the Evgeny Malkin draft somehow come out of it with Cam Barker, who was kind of like a fringy defenseman who went one spot after him. It was a big draft bust. How many cups does Sid Crosby have? And a lot of people said one instead of three, which he actually has, because... You know, the team is obviously a lot worse without Evgeny Malkin, who's a Hall of Fame superstar. But I think people don't want to believe that a player as good as Crosby could be denied a cup. And he's so good that he does a lot to get you most of the way there. But I think that could easily happen. I genuinely think that people are going to not appreciate how great Joe Thornton was because he's never going to have won a cup. Unless he comes next year, like we used to hear rumored. And then suddenly he's the Leafs 4th seed. But um, it's it's tough. You know, just the, the unforgivingness of this sport. And it does skew how we talk about it. And I don't know how you convince people of, like, the unfairness of this sport when it's not something that they really want to believe. So... Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's one other... And like this is pure anecdote, but I do find it kind of telling. The Oilers actually won the cup after Gretzky was traded. Gretzky never won the cup after being traded. Surely, like, that little factoid about the... Uh, about his history means something, right? You know? <laughs> You know, just in terms of how much support you need, even when you're the greatest of all time. So, yeah, that, that's just something that goes through my mind. And again, and I do think, you know, if you, if you don't think much about all these old goalies from the 90s because you're, you're young and looking into the future or whatever, Dominic Hasek was so much better than almost everybody except Pete Patrick Waugh. It, it was really something to behold, so, Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and it, it's always going to be the I, You know, we've talked about this before, but you think about how different the coverage of Alex Ovechkin's, you know, quest to become the best, have the most goals in NHL history, mm-hmm. how, how that would be covered differently if he had, hadn't won the Cup with arguably the worst Washington team over, over the past five years. Yeah. You know, they put together several great teams, and it just so happened that it was one... That wasn't as great as some of the best of them. That found up that wound up winning the championship. You know, it's just you can't know really. And uh, yeah, I, I guess it's just you know we talk a lot on this podcast about the numbers and variance and kind of the arbitrariness of the sport. And you know nobody wants to watch the the coin flip championships either. But we do have to recognize that it's a balance between. Um, randomness and variance and skill on the other and that there's a lot more luck involved than we want to admit so yep pretty much um all right so on that very uplifting note we've <laughs> concluded today that the Leafs are going to have a hard time improving but hockey is completely random anyway so it doesn't even matter yeah you know who knows next year the Leafs could win the championship or finish last this has we been back know. to nihilism <laughs> <laughs> Everything is meaningless. Eat his Arby's. 
Or order yeah. at Arby's. Don't <laughs> yeah, or, yeah definitely don't eat at Arby's. No, you can't do that right now because, again, there's a plague. Um, all right, cool. So thank you guys all for listening. Uh, you can find all of mine and Fuleman's work at PetroPanPuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RV and AT Fuleman. We will see you next week. Bye.